0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: We are still unpacking the Dan Mullen situation at Florida. Good morning. It is Tuesday, November 23rd. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. Yeah, so usually when these coaches get fired, the full episode will devote to that school is the next step who can the school go get like we did with Washington, or is it what can the school still be like we did with Virginia Tech? But in the case of Florida, we all know what Florida can be. And the candidates list, no one's clear right now. Maybe it's Billy Napier. We don't know. I think it's more interesting to pull the thread on how a guy who 11 months ago was coaching in the SEC championship game no longer has a job. So we're going to talk to Brandon Marcello of 24-7 Sports to figure that all out. Truth be told, Brandon was working on a long story about Dan Mullen and his recruiting failings at Florida. We were going to publish it this week, and then the, when Mullen got fired, we said, "Yeah, not gonna, not gonna dance on this guy's grave. We're not gonna, we're not gonna publish a long story to live in eternity uh, with anonymous sources and and uh, throw throw mud at him." So uh, we're skipping that. But Brandon did do a lot of reporting, did make a lot of phone calls, and I think a podcast is a more fair place to discuss that. Something about the audio medium is just a little bit less harsh than the written word. So we're going to have Brandon on it in a few minutes to, to talk about Mullen and why the recruiting classes at Florida were never what they could have been, and, and then we're going to end that discussion with a little bit on what Dan Mullen should do next. But it was honestly a, a very busy Monday in college football. The day started off with a report that LSU sophomore Eli Ricks was likely to enter the transfer portal. I'm recording this Monday evening. We're still waiting on Eli to enter the portal. He's a former five-star recruit in the class of 2020. Could go wherever he wants to. And whenever he does enter the portal, will be the highest-ranked player in the transfer portal. I mention that because the 24/7 Sports Transfer Rankings team, helmed by Clint Brewster, did release its initial top 25 of 2022 transfers today. And until Rick enters, the number one guy is offensive tackle Kingsley Sua Matea, a former Oregon Duck played in one game for Oregon this year, transferred midseason, has already committed to BYU. So we've the transfer team's ranked about 200 players and started off with an, an initial list of 25, and you can go find those 25 players online at 24-7 Sports. And my hunch is that we will be talking to Clint Brewster about that on tomorrow's edition of the College Football Daily. One more note, an armada of 24-7 Sports reporters pointing the arrow of TCU toward the direction of Sonny Dykes, the SMU coach. Chris Hummer, Billy Inbody, Jeremy Clark, and Blake Brockermeyer tag-teamed a report Monday afternoon that the Horned Frogs were zeroing in on Sonny Dykes as their next head coach. An announcement could be made Saturday afternoon after SMU's game, maybe Sunday morning, a press conference perhaps on Monday. So we'll see. Buckle up. It's going to be a busy week. Here's Brandon Marcello. Okay. Brandon Marcello joins us right now. So Brandon, We've always heard that Dan Mullen's not that great of a recruiter or not that interested in recruiting. And I think anybody can look at recruiting rankings and see that, well, it's not horrible. It's it's not great and it's not good enough to be at the top of the conference on a yearly basis. But in doing the reporting that you've done and, you know, I, I talked about in the intro, you know, we're not gonna run this big expose now, but I still want to talk to you about the story. What does not being good at recruiting? mean in real life on a daily basis
0: yeah it's it, you know with dan mullen i mean i don't think it's any secret out there that um he almost had like this disdain for recruiting not to say he wasn't recruiting but he didn't really go the way, uh most of his colleagues especially in the sec would go about it and to a point where it not only you know rubbed opposing coaches the wrong way which you know who cares what they think but Even the recruits that Florida was going after could sense it, even in their own meetings and one-on-one conversations with him. And, you know, in my reporting, uh, it was a day-to-day thing where, you know, speaking to people that were inside that program for Dan Mullen. It was very disorganized from a recruiting perspective, and one that wasn't necessarily tabbed as the most important thing to be doing in that building, even during the offseason when you know that's all you really should be worried about. Why, like, does that that trace back to
1: Mississippi State? Does he just think he's better in other aspects than any other? I wonder if he. He's a smart guy and he's such a brilliant offensive coach. So do you think he thinks that when the you know, they snap the ball, he can out scheme any quality of player?
0: I think he can outsmart anybody because usually when he is in a room with people, he is the smartest person in the room. There's no doubt about it. The guy is I, I hate it when people say genius, but he's close to being a genius as you can get when it comes to football vernacular and, and understanding things and game day coaching. The thing is with recruiting is is he almost Based off the people I've talked to, and listen, I, I I covered him up close for three years at Mississippi State, and kept up with him ever since. He almost saw recruiting as something below him, something that he that was a bother to him, and it and it filtered down through his staff. Um, I mean, listen, he had some long term, you know, staffers alongside him, including John Hevesy on the offensive line, and look what John Hevesy's offensive line has done through the years, all the way dating back to their days together at Mississippi State. They were never great offensive lines, and in fact, I would say maybe his best offensive line for John Hevesy was the one he inherited all the way back from the Sly crew era at Mississippi State. So, you know, not to get too deep in the weeds here, but really, it probably is as simple as he thought, listen, I've got my way of doing things. It worked with, for me at Mississippi State. It worked for me even at Florida to a certain extent when I was an assistant coach here previously. I can coach these guys up. I'm going to go find these players on the recruiting trail that no one's really, not to say no one, but people are not giving enough credit and I'm going to turn them into five-star guys and show you that they are worthy of five-star rankings by the time they get out of college football. Now, That works sometimes. Look at Dak Prescott. I mean, listen, Heisman Trophy finalist, did what he did at Mississippi State, now with the Cowboys. At one point, I believe, I'd have to go back and look, I think he was a two-star recruit out of Louisiana. They got bumped up to three stars and maybe up to a four-star, and he went into Louisiana and identified him quickly early in the process of, this is a guy we need to get. He fits the system. We can make him into a star. And LSU wasn't even really paying attention to him. And he was like 30 minutes away. No one really was paying attention to Dak Prescott. And then as as the year went along, more people paid attention. He started getting these bigger offers, but he stuck with Dan Law Mississippi State because he saw something in him and developed that relationship. He continued to try and do that at Florida. And You know, from talking to people that were inside that program, it just didn't make much sense, though, however, what they were doing. They were going outside the recruiting footprint, which, listen, Florida is a national program, but it all starts in the state of Florida and in the southeast. Most coaches, they they straw a circle four hours around their campus. That's the radius you want to recruit and own. Well, with Dan Mullen they were doing some weird things where they would go up to the Northeast and go identify a player who wasn't really high on anybody's radar and would be offering them very early in the process. And people are going like, why aren't you offering this kid that's already in your backyard? And yet you're up in the Northeast trying to get someone that's completely out of your footprint that you're taking a chance on. And then we might go into this deeper, but even when he did start targeting players, five star kids or whatever in the state of Florida, he wasn't necessarily, you know, listen, if you follow recruiting, coaches, you know, not to say they grovel at the feet of these kids, but they can almost promise the world to you in a lot of ways. And as a recruit, you have to see through that and discern what exactly is the truth here. And not a lot of coaches go overboard with that. But Dan Mullen was almost like, doing as little as he could to make these players, some of these players, I should say, feel good about coming to Florida. Whereas, you know, all these other programs in the SEC and the ACC, for that matter, are rolling out the red carpet for these five-star kids, which to be honest, that's what they deserve because these are superstars, potential superstars that make programs. And throughout history, you know, I, I don't care how much you hate the recruiting rankings in the process, Dan Mullen, but... That proves itself out. The 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 system it's not broken. You can't outsmart it.
1: Yeah, and the Dan Mullen supporters would anecdotally try to poke holes in you with the well two star thing. He did it with Kyle Trask, and oh go northeast, he did it with Kyle Pitts. But again, anecdotally, that doesn't that that works once. And of course, it worked with Kyle Trask, but it doesn't work over the course of an entire class. I almost get the sense Brandon we mentioned the smartest guy in the room theory, and also the idea that. The idea that a 17-year-old would be more more important to the program than anybody else is probably a tough realization for a coach to get to. And yet it feels like, especially recently, Kirby Smart's really embraced that. So I just... When you were doing the reporting on this, and Dan Mullen had not been fired, were you drawing the conclusions like, yeah, this is... When you looked under the hood, was it worse than you thought? did you realize that this was not a tenable situation?
0: Yeah, it it, um, it it was very clear after talking to people, especially those that were tied to the program, that this was it, it might not be nearing an end at the time but boy, this will be a disaster if it continues because this this really had no other way to go but to continue to, to go down. The, the stories are heard about individual meetings with recruits and you know, certain players being misidentified even and confused with other players and their recruiting database completely disorganized. Things that would not pass the sniff test at a Sun Belt program, and not to you know to belittle the Sun Belt, of course, but let alone an SEC program where you've got countless support staffers and everything, and yet you just completely ignore kind of the research and the data that's already available to you because you're just on your own plane of existence almost to a lot of ways i mean i've got lists of just players one by one by one of in-state kids four and five star kids the blue chips that florida either didn't show interest in or just kind of shrugged off even when they were very interested in florida and some of these names would probably shock people. And it would just anger a lot of people, I should say, especially in the state of Florida and those Florida Gators fans. It's it's mind-boggling to me. And it's one of those situations where you talk to people about this and you hear these things over and over again, you're going, all right, it's one thing if it's one person saying this, but to hear it from a second, a third, and a fourth person, that's not a story that's made up. That is something that is obviously a trend and a culture. And that's something that's very difficult to break. I mean, hearing kids that were four and five stars that wanted to even commit to Florida and Florida was telling them, you know, hold off. You don't tell that to a blue chip recruit who's ready to re- to commit right then and there. Just some really really crazy things. Yeah.
1: So, like on on one scenario, I imagine Florida the not getting into it with the the four and the five. Some of the the, the in state kids just sort of conceding battles to the Alabamas yeah. and Ohio States and Georgias. And for the holding off, would that be just we don't know if we like you enough?
0: Evaluation. Does that go back to that? Yes. Okay. Um, they they would be in a situation where a kid be like, hey. I liked my visit, and I really like Florida. I, I think I'm ready to commit." And they would say, you know, hold off for a little bit, we're trying to figure out our numbers, or hold off on a little bit, maybe we can do this at another date. And then of course the kid would go visit elsewhere or other schools would get in their ear. And that would always pick at them a little bit, like, why did Florida just completely turn me down? You turned me down. Now they didn't turn them down to a standpoint of we will never take your commitment, but it's like I'm saying right now I'm ready to commit and you're telling me as a blue chip to wait. Why are you telling me to wait when I'm ready to do it right now and you'll take me in the end? It's uh again, disorganized and completely just in a sense, just I don't know how to say it. Just didn't. None of what they did really made a lot of sense.
1: I liked the hire at the time, and I yeah. thought that the offense would be good enough to where they could put forty up a game and just get and, and and kids and kids would just choose to to come there. This and this all back backs up with what you've been saying. Kids would choose to come there regardless of who was recruiting them, and it just it didn't pan out like that. Um, Obviously, I think Florida's going to have to go with a big time recruiter. And I, I know you like the you know Billy Napiers of the world. We'll see what happens. As far as Dan Malone goes, though, Brandon, as we wrap this up, clearly an extremely good head coach. I would really get into an argument with anyone who, who debates that. Maybe out of his depths in the SEC East. Is there a place, part of the country, a conference, current opening that you think might make more sense for him?
0: I mean, you know, I think it would honestly probably be pretty foolish of him to get back into head coaching in college football unless it's a huge gig right away. If I was Washington, to be quite honest, I would give him an opportunity And I would interview him and I'd talk to him because listen, you know, at Washington, he his recruiting tactics, I guess, could probably work there. And he would coach guys up and still be able to compete for a Pac-12 championship once every three or four years. But Washington obviously has higher expectations from their fan base, which might be unrealistic, but that's just where it is. But personally, doesn't it seem like Dan Mullen would be a much better fit in the NFL as a coordinator? Does not have to deal with recruiting at all. He shows up to the office. He writes down X's and O's every day, schemes, coaches and develops players, and it's all on a professional base, not trying to be someone he's not, something that's not outside of his own personality. And um, I think think he would be a fantastic NFL coordinator. If college football had no recruiting in it, this guy would be winning national championships. If they were just to say, if he was just able to go get what he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. If you take out, that,
1: might be the, that might
0: be the headline of this podcast. <laughs> if you take out 85% of the job, he, he'd be winning national championships. You know, listen, I don't know what's going on with the NFL and I don't follow it too closely, but wouldn't it be something if he reunited with Urban Meyer in Jacksonville? I, that would, I, I think that would work out great for both of them potentially.
1: Yeah. I think Trevor Lawrence would like that too. They need it. Thank you, Brandon. Really appreciate Brandon joining me. We did a marathon of podcast recordings on Monday afternoon because we've got something uh, else from Brandon coming later in the week as we try to get all of our Thanksgiving content in the barn. Tonight, we have playoff rankings. You know what? I'm really hoping Cincinnati is in the top four. We're assuming they will be. We'll probably not be doing a reaction show on Wednesday or or Tuesday night, Wednesday morning about the playoff rankings. But if Cincinnati is not in the top four, maybe I will get mad enough to get on the mic and do a few minutes in addition to our regularly scheduled programming. All right. thanks to Brandon Marcello for joining us. Thank you to our producer Lance Glenn for putting this episode and all episodes together. My name is Trey Scott. We'll talk to you on Wednesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.
0: CBS Sunday, after The Equalizer.
1: You collect rewards, right?
0: This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's OK. Justin Hartley stars. you survive. You make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday, after The Equalizer, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.